If you have a Bible with you, you can open to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to continue our study through uh, the letter of, of 1 Corinthians this morning. And uh, before we turn to God's Word, let me just make one brief announcement that uh, next Sunday at 6 p.m., uh, we're having a congregational meeting. This is our annual congregational meeting where we uh, go over our uh, budget together as our church. Our, our, the elders in our church have just uh, completed our budget. We've also written a strategic plan this spring that we're going to highlight, uh, talk about some of the highlights from that strategic plan as well. We'll also talk about some other things that, are, that have, the Lord has done in our church over the last year and what's happening in uh, the year ahead. And so if you're a member of Christ Church, uh, definitely make that a priority to come and be here 6 p.m. next week. Also, if you're new to the church, you say, you know, I'm not a member yet, but I'm I, this is my church home. I want to learn more about what's happening here. I Feel free to come and sit in and, and hear about what God's uh, doing in our community. And uh, so important time for us to be together is next Sunday, uh, 6 p.m., back here at the church. So uh, that's all for announcements. We're, uh, we're going to look now at 1 Corinthians 15. We're starting in verse 35. Hear the word of the Lord. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Mighty Father in heaven, we uh, praise you for the hope that we have in Christ, the resurrection of the body. And we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit now as we give our minds to study your holy word, that you would help us to not only understand it, but that you would apply these words into our, our hearts, to our lives um, that we would rest in this hope, that this hope would give us endurance, perseverance, 
and, uh, and also uh, guide us in our service to you in this life. So, um, Lord, we pray that you would be our teacher now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is our, our fifth uh, Sunday. We're looking at the great chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, which is the Apostle Paul's most, this is the whole Bible's most in-depth treatment of the resurrection of Jesus and what it means, what it's about, its significance. And the basic Christian hope is that what God did for Jesus 2,000 years ago when he raised his body from the dead, he will also do for all of Jesus' people when Jesus comes again in the future. So in order to know what's going to happen for us in the future, we look back to what happened to, to Jesus in the past. And, you know, when some of you hear that, you say, wow, the resurrection of Jesus' body, the resurrection of our bodies. Uh, you might ask the exact question that Paul poses in this passage in verse 35. You see what it says in verse 35? It says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Some of you probably asked that question. How does all this work? Bodies rising from the dead. That's really what Christians believe in. That's kind of weird. And I love Paul's response in verse 36. You foolish person. <laughs> you, uh, you, know, you think this is weird? You foolish person. And you say, well, you know, we think that's a reasonable question. Like, how does, this, how does all this work? And he seems to think this, this is obvious. Why are you even asking me this question? Now, it's interesting in the paragraph we're going to look at next week, the end, he says that it's all a mystery when this happens. But there are certain uh, parts, there's some parts of the resurrection that the Apostle Paul thinks all of us as Christians, we should understand about our hope as Christians. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Four truths uh, about understanding the meaning of Jesus' resurrection when he was raised from dead and our resurrection, what that means for, for our resurrection. And the four truths that we're going to talk about are these, that the resurrection is creational, the resurrection is transformational, the resurrection is physical, and the resurrection is Christological. It's centered on Jesus, okay? Those four things, that it's creational, transformational, physical, and Christological. And, you know, before I get into that, I just want to uh, very simply just explain what the Christian hope is. You know, some of you maybe have never had it all laid out for you. And what Christians believe is basically this, that after Jesus was crucified... On the third day after his crucifixion, his body was raised from the dead. It wasn't just his spirit or his soul. His body was raised from the dead. He spent 40 days walking around, talking to people, eating with people, having people touch his hands. And hundreds of people that he met, and we actually know many of those people's names, 40 days later, his body went into heaven. That's where his body is now. His human body, humanity, has gone into God's presence. He will come again at the end of this age, and he will set all things right. In his creation. In the meantime, what that means for us as Christians, when you are in Christ, when you die, a violence is done to your person. Because to be a human being means that you're a soul-body union. You're both a soul and a body. And when you die, your soul and your body are ripped apart. Your body goes into the ground. Your soul goes into heaven and is with God. But that is not your final kind of salvation. What happens is when Jesus comes again, our soul and body are reunited. And we're, our humanity is made whole again. And as a reunited soul and body, we live in, in a renewed creation forever in God's presence. That's what the Christian hope is. Now, some of you may hear that and you say, resurrection of the body, that sounds wild. 
to me, you better believe it's wild. Of course it's wild. If the creator of this universe, heaven and earth, was going to heal the world, do you think he would have done something that you would have guessed or you would have come up with? No, he's going to come up with something wild. And the wild thing is the resurrection. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So four things about understanding the wild resurrection. And so the first thing is this. The resurrection is creational. And what I mean by creational is two things. Okay, The first of all is that the resurrection is pictured for us in the creation. The resurrection is pictured for us in the creation. You see that in verse 36 where it says, You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. Now, what Paul's first explanation about the resurrection is, he says, look, at, open your eyes and just look around at the world around you. You know, the farmers, they put the seed in the ground. And then what comes up is, you know, this plant, you know, the, the grain or, or some kind of vegetable comes up. And, uh, and what he's saying is that this created order, the way the creation is right now is a picture to us of what God is intending to do in the future. So, you know, I, I have a, um, we have a cherry blossom tree in the front of our house. You know, every spring there's these kind of two weeks where the cherry blossoms come out. It's bright pink, just shining and glowing. And it's almost a surprise to us every time to say, so amazing. This, you know, this tree just comes alive and I can't believe that this happens. Even though it happens every year, it's always a surprise to us. And what God is saying is what happens to the cherry blossoms, what happens to the corn, you know, a little bit of corn goes in the ground and this corn comes up and these plants that come up and the vegetables and berries that come out, all of that is a picture, the kind of transformation that happens in this creation every, uh, every year is a picture of what God intends to do with each of us. And of course that makes us immediately ask, well, you know, what will it be like, okay, if I'm a seed that's planted in the ground. I come up like, you know, cherry blossom. What, what will I be like? And, you know, we don't know. But Paul tries to kind of get our imagination stirring by listing off kind of all the different kinds of bodies and creatures there in creation there is in his world. And in, you see what it says there in verse 39. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans and another for animals, another for birds and another for fish. So he's getting you thinking about all these different kinds of animals. And there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the star, for star differs from star in glory. And what Paul's telling us to do, he's telling us to look around at the creation and um, think of all the different kinds of creatures God has made and say, he made all of them. What could he make of you? You know, I think of like gorillas and they have these big muscles and they can pulverize things. Like, wow, God made big muscles. And then, or the smaller monkeys that, you know, they jump from tree to tree. I, I, as far as I know, no monkey has missed a branch. They, every time when they jump, they get the branch. And I think, wow, an amazing body they have. And, or I, we saw these dolphins in a show recently where the dolphin jumps out and it twirls. It's like a 360 dolphin and it's like a snowboarder dolphin. And they jump and they do 360s. And you say, wow, God made this flesh and this body. And then he also made like these stars. You know, the, you, know you look up in the stars and you say, these are these giant balls of like burning gas where it's like millions of atom bombs going off at once. There's so much light and heat and God made all of those things. And the God who made all those different kinds of body, all those different kinds of flesh, 
He is the one who's going to raise us up in power and glory and in wisdom. And we know that he can do amazing kinds of bodies that he can make because we just look around. He's already done them. And so uh, whatever it is, whatever he's going to do with our bodies, we know it's going to be incredible. Okay, so the first thing is to say that the resurrection is creational, is to say that the resurrection is pictured for us already in this creation. Just look around and have your imagination just, you know, your eyes open to the wonder of what God can do. But also the resurrection is creational because the resurrection is continuous with this creation. And what I mean is there is a continuity between this creation and the life to come in the resurrection. And so the fact that I will rise up like a majestic cherry blossom in the resurrection should not make us think that I'm not going to be Nate in the resurrection. You know, we're going to see each other and we're, it's going to still be good old Nate. Remember our time back there at Christchurch, Bellingham and those things that happened? We're still going to have those stories. We're still going to know one another. We're still going to have this history. And I may have, you know, long, fly, fiery, flowing red hair and gorilla muscles or something like that. Maybe. I don't know. It's a mystery. We find out next week it's a mystery. But it'll still be Nate. And the seed analogy, the fact that Paul chooses to use a seed to describe the resurrection, assures us of that. Because, you know, everything, you think about an oak tree, a majestic oak tree that grows up out of the ground, everything about that oak tree is already contained in the acorn. They have the same DNA. They have the same genetic code. And the acorn is a potential oak tree. That's how you should all feel about yourself. You know, I feel like I have the potential to be a glorious being, but I just can't quite pull it off yet. That's right. You can't, it's true. You can't pull off the glorious being yet because you're an acorn. And you're an acorn that needs to be planted somewhere to become an oak tree. Now, let me ask you, where do you need to be planted to be transformed into an oak tree? In Jesus Christ. Where else are you going to be planted to be transformed in resurrection? You need to be planted in Christ. So there is a continuity between the world of the resurrection and this world. The DNA of this life and the life to come are the same. And you know, by the way, we know that too because we look at the Lord Jesus in his resurrection. It's kind of strange because sometimes people are like, who is that guy? He seems like a stranger after he's raised. But other times it's very clear who Jesus is. And he'd say to people, look at the scars on my hands. Look at the scars on my feet. I am the Lord in flesh and blood. Give me a fish to eat. I'm going to eat with you. And that leads to our second point, because in the resurrection, there is both continuity and a transformation. There's a connection to the present world, but it's this world changed and renewed. And that's why we say that the resurrection is not only creational, but second, the resurrection is transformational. And what I mean by that is that in the resurrection, it's not just like these bodies are kind of like dug up and dusted off and it's just this, you know, same old person, you know, we're not zombies walking around like walking dead or something like that. This N.T. Wright puts it this way, a seed does not come to life by being dug up, brushed down, and restored to its pristine seediness. We're not going to be a seed. When an acorn comes to life, it becomes an oak tree. It's transformed. That's what will happen to us. So what can we say about what kind of change will happen to us in the resurrection? Well, there are two ways that this passage describes it. The first is that the transformation is a burying of our misery. 
a burying into the ground of our misery. And the passage compares this life to the life to come in verse 42. You see what it says. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown, uh, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And there's three words that Paul uses there to describe this life. He says, first of all, this life is perishable. And, you know, just uh, many of you know I, I lost my dad this last year. And he, over the last five years, we saw the, how perishable this life is. You know, he had to give up working five years, four or five years ago because he just didn't have the physical strength to do it anymore. And we saw he couldn't play sports. He couldn't work out. He couldn't, he couldn't get on the, his hands and knees and have my kids wrestle with him anymore. His, he eventually lost a lot of his mental capacity. It's the perishability. That's what this life is. That's part of the misery and loss and sorrow of this life. So first of all, this life is perishable. Second, he says that it's, it's marked by dishonor. You know, another word we could use to translate that is shame that we carry around, all of us have a sense that something's wrong with me. And sometimes that's, it's true. There are some things wrong with us. We're sinners. And there are other things that aren't really wrong with us, but we just feel like there's something wrong with us. And it's like this weight that we carry in our minds, we carry in our gut and our emotions, shapes how we interact with people. So there's, it's like we're perishing, we're filled with shame, and then weakness. It's like we all have these dreams of things that we want to do in this world and things we want to accomplish, and we just don't have the power to do it. We can't make the world be what we want. We don't have the abilities. We don't have the skills. We don't have the intellect. We have all of these things. Is, um, and we think about what would human life be like? What would your life be like with no perishing, no shame, and no weakness? And I'll tell you, the reason why you and I need to die is all that perishing, that decay, that, that frailty, all of that shame that, you know, you carry the shame in your body, right? You feel it in your gut. You feel it in your, in your arms and, and everywhere. You carry it with you. And the weakness of your body, all of that needs to be buried into the ground. And it needs to be put to death. It needs to be ended. And I'll tell you, this is the crazy thing, is that all of that sorrow, all that shame, all that weakness is the acorn. It's the DNA of the oak tree that is going to rise from the, the ground in resurrection. Because you look at Jesus, when he's risen from the dead, he still has the scars. And he goes and he shows everyone the scars. And Jesus is more beautiful. He's more praiseworthy. He's more glorious because he has the scars. And that means that every misery, every scar that you have from this life will become a unique hallmark of your glory in the resurrection. So each one of us is going to have a different glory in, in the resurrection, and it's going to be tied to the sufferings that we've experienced in this life. So that's why Apostle Paul says in another place that this slight momentary affliction, which he calls this life, is a momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that's beyond comparison. No sorrow, no shame, no weakness, no frailty, no perishing will be wasted. It will be used to make us glorious. This is the incredible hope. So transformation, the transformation, first of all, it's a bearing into the ground of our misery. But second, it's a rising in glory. And uh, what Paul says is the opposite of shame. 
You know, many of us struggle with shame. What's the opposite of shame? If I didn't have shame, what would I have? Well, his word is glory. You see that there in verse 43. It is sown in dishonor, that shame, it is raised in glory. And glory, you know, basically has two definitions. What, what does it mean to be glorious? I mean, some of you might say, do I want glory? You know, glory is like a famous person who's like a rock star and everyone knows them and everyone praises them and thinks their music's so great. So on the one hand, it's being known and being praised. And on the other hand, glory is like you're shining, like you're a light bulb or you're the sun or something like that. And light is coming out of you. And you're like, are those two things the, the thing that I really want? But... Um, but I think that Psalm 34 brings these two things together about glory in a beautiful way. It says, those who look to the Lord are radiant, they're shining, and their faces shall never be ashamed. And I think, and the way that I think of glory is, glory is what someone looks like when they've been loved. You know, when someone's been loved, they're smiling, they're shining, they are comfortable in their own skin. They're grateful and they're free and joyful. I don't care who a human being is. A human being that has been loved is beautiful. And that's what glory is, is to be known and loved by God and to become radiant because of that love. And, you know, I just want you to imagine what that will be like when, you know, all of your frailty of your body, all the things about your body that are just going wrong and all the shame that you feel in your gut and all the weakness of dreams that you had that couldn't be accomplished is buried in the ground and you, you come resurrecting out of the ground and you stand before the creator of heaven and earth. And his terrible, beautiful face turns and looks you in the eyes. It says, I am pleased with you. You are my beloved child. Come into the kingdom. And you're going to blush and you're going to weep and you're going to say, I... Bring you, the almighty, powerful creator there is. I bring you joy. I'm a source of joy to the source of all life. Is that really possible? When that happens to you, you will be radiant and you will shining. You'll be glowing. You will be beautiful. That's what glory is. And, you know, C.S. Lewis, in, he's got a, there's a book called God in the Dock, which is a collection of his essays and, and speeches that he gave. And there's an essay in there called man or rabbit, where C.S. Lewis talks about, you know, a lot of people think that becoming a Christian is like, you know, I'm going to start becoming a moral person. I'm going to be a decent human being. And he's like, that, I mean, yeah, it's good to be a moral person, but that is so, uh, such an incomplete picture of what it means to be a Christian. And this is, this is how he describes it. The people who keep on asking if they can't lead a decent life without Christ don't know what life is about. If they did, they would know that a decent life is mere machinery compared with the thing we men are really made for. Morality is indispensable, but the divine life, which gives itself to us and which calls us to be gods. And he's not saying we're becoming gods. He says we're going to become these immortal beings. Intends for us something in which morality will be swallowed up. We are to be remade. All the rabbit in us is to disappear, the worried, conscientious, ethical rabbit, as well as the cowardly and sensual rabbit. We shall bleed and squeal as the handfuls of fur come out, and then, surprisingly, we shall find underneath it all a thing we have never yet imagined, a real man. 
an ageless God, a son of God, strong, radiant, wise, beautiful, and drenched in joy. That is the hope of the resurrection. That's the transformation that awaits us if we are in Christ. And so what we've seen so far is that the resurrection is first creational. It's written for us in the creation. Just open your eyes and look around what God has done. And, in, and there is a continuity between this world, the Nathan that you know now is going to be the Nathan in the resurrection, but also resurrection is transformational where all the miseries of this life will be buried in the ground and by some miracle, every misery you experience will become the DNA that becomes your wisdom and beauty and power and glory in the resurrection. It's amazing. Third point is that the resurrection is physical. And, uh, and I want to say this point is a little bit technical, but in this paragraph comes one of the most important verses for understanding the resurrection properly because this passage has been deeply under, misunderstood in the history of the church. And you can, you can see it in verse 44 where it says, It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. Now, many people, when they read that, you see that there's a contrast between the natural and the spiritual body. And, uh, and I think many people read that and think, oh, okay, I understand how it works. We have a physical body now. We die, it's buried in the ground. What's raised from the dead is our spirit, our soul, a spiritual body, a body made out of spirit. Because we think, well, a natural body is made out of what? Nature. A spiritual body is made out of what? Spirit. And actually, there is an English translation of this verse that says that more explicitly. This is the RSV. Maybe you have an RSV Bible. It says, it is sown a physical body and raised a spiritual body. But th that whole idea that the physical needs to go away so that we can become a spiritual being is more of a Greek idea than the Hebraic thinking of the Bible. So, the, you know, the Greeks thought that your, your body, pretty much all matter, was inherently evil. And so uh, your spirit was inherently good. So you kind of w were waiting for the day when you would die and your spirit could be set free from the prison of your body. And uh, it would be a happy release from the prison of your body. But the God of the Old Testament was far more earthy than that. Because you read the beginning of the Bible, chapter 1 of the Bible, God makes this physical world, makes our physical bodies. And what does he say about it? Very good. Not inherently evil, very good. And then if you read through the whole Old Testament, you find out God has his chosen people, Israel, and all of his promises to them are these earthy things like, I'm going to give you land, and I'm going to give you babies, and I'm going to give you crops, and you're going to enjoy human life in my good green earth. It's a totally different worldview from the Greek worldview. And so the question is, why does Paul sound so Greek in this passage when Paul was a Jew? He was steeped in the Old Testament. And the reason is because the translation is deceptive. And, you know, you can trust your English Bibles. Your English Bibles are largely, I mean, 99.999% of the time is a great translation. These are hard words to translate because the two words natural and spiritual are the Greek words sukakos, it's natural, which is where we get the word psyche or psychology. The psyche is your soul. 
And so, you know, psychology is the study of your soul. So, and, and then the spiritual is pneumaticos, which is where you get the word pneuma, spirit, or the Holy Spirit. And so probably a more precise translation would be something like this. It is sown a soulish body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, what does that mean to have a soulish body or to have a spiritual body? Well, one more thing about these words. Both these words, sukakos and pneumaticos, they both have an ending, ikos, which is not an ending in a Greek adjective that's used to describe what something is made out of. It's an ending to use, just, but it is used to describe what empowers something. So, for example, you know, we say things like a steamship. Is a steamship made out of steam? No. A steamship is powered by steam. And uh, so a, a sukkakos body or a soulish body is not made out of soul, but it is a physical body that is powered by the human soul that is, in our case, corrupted by sin. And a spiritual body is made out of spirit, but is a physical body powered or animated and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying here is that all of us have these sinful, corrupt desires that are driving how we use our bodies in this life. And so many of us, we say, you know, I wish I could just love God. I wish my mouth didn't spew out foolish things or, you know, in anger and rage, you know, and people I love. I just wish my body didn't do these things that I want. And I wish what flowed out of me was praise to God and gratitude and words of encouragement to other people and that I quickly served others. What this is saying is that the kind of body that will be raised is a body that does that. It's powered by the Holy Spirit. It's animated. We become life-giving spirits. We give life to others. We love others. We praise God. We are a blessing to God, and we're a blessing to others. And, uh, and what this means is that the Christian hope is not ultimately about getting away from this world and our souls going off to live in the never, netherworld forever. It is about the healing of the whole human person, body and soul. And if we are in Christ, we will live in the physical world, renewed and cleansed of all evil. And so this leads to our last point. Because that hope is absolutely incredible. Not just that our souls will go something, but our humanity will be healed. And we would live in God's presence in a renewed creation forever and ever. It's absolutely incredible. So the question is, how could I ever have something like that? Know that a gift like that could be mine. And so our last point is this. So the resurrection is creational, transformational, physical, and lastly, the resurrection is Christological. And what I mean is uh, something that I've said many times, but we'll say again. You will find nowhere in the world a hope anywhere remotely as brilliant and as grand as what you're reading about in this passage. You'll find it in no religion. You'll find it in no culture. You will only find it in the person of Jesus Christ. Because who would dare to promise you a renewed world? Who would promise, dare to even promise you the resurrection of your body? You know, anyone can say to you, yeah, your spirit is going to go to a happy place when you die. Why can anyone say that? Because no one really knows. You know, we can't see it. We can't verify it. Who can say, I could raise your body from the dead? Only the one who has already had his body raised from the dead. He's already done it once. 
And that's why we believe that this is possible. And so the resurrection hope is only found in Jesus Christ. And one of the things that you'll see in this passage is that since resurrection is only found in Jesus, that means it is a gift to those who are willing to receive it. You see that there in verse 38. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. The body, our body in this life and the body in the life to come is a gift from God by his sovereign appointment, the way he has chosen it. And, uh, and so it will be in the resurrection. And Paul makes that point even further in the end of this passage. Verse 47, look at verse 47. It says, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, that's Jesus. So also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What this says is that everything that we got from Adam, our first parents, all that stuff that we listed earlier, that our bodies are going to perish, and we carry shame around with us, and weakness, all of that just, when did that come into your life? What did you do to bring that into your life? Well, you may have done some things, but I'll tell you, you were just born into it. You know, I, um, it was just passed down to us, and maybe you feel that way about your life. You say, you know, I didn't, I didn't choose my family. Maybe your family's got problems that have really affected your life. So I didn't, I didn't choose them. I just popped into that family. It wasn't anything I did. It wasn't anything I deserved. It was just sprung upon me. And you might think that some of the things in your life, they were unfair, that was dealt to you because you didn't do anything to bring that upon yourself. This is the good news. If that's how it worked with the first Adam, that we just got death and shame and weakness that's also how it works with the last Adam, who is Jesus. And to have the hope of resurrection, you don't earn it. You don't work for it. You were born again into it spiritually, like a new family that's just plopped down in your lap. And you receive it as a gift of grace, sovereignly appointed to you by God. And so we look at God's creation, we see the plants coming up out of the ground and think this is a picture of the transformation God has for me where all my sorrows will be buried like a seed and become the DNA for my glory. And not just the glory of a ghost or a spirit, but the glory of a physically renewed human being. Know that such a beautiful hope can only be found in one place, in Jesus Christ, the man of heaven, the firstborn raised from the dead. And he wants to share it with you. So receive the gift by faith and say to him, Lord Jesus, I believe. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise you for this immense hope, a hope that we would never have dreamed to even try to imagine and yet has come to us by your grace in our Savior. Lord, we pray that this hope would live in us as a community. It would uh, create in us perseverance, joy. It would inspire us towards love and good deeds. And, uh, and Lord, uh, we pray that many more in our community would come to know this hope. And uh, Lord, see us until that last day. And we pray that indeed you would come soon. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.